Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church Online. Uh, I want to thank those of you that participated in the backpack drive with us. We have the opportunity, uh, as you heard earlier in the service, to take backpacks to students returning to Sunridge Middle School uh, this year for the school year and could not do that without your generosity. So thanks to those that participated uh, in that. That is the kind of church we want to be, a church that does good works, that gives us opportunity to share the good news of Jesus in our world and in our community. So thank you for that. I'm also riding high still from last Sunday night when we saw more than 100 of you come out uh, to Harvest Church for our Sunday Night Live uh, event and worship together and spend time in prayer together and, and hearing from the Word of God. And so thank you for those that came out as we just continue to build in this uncertain season um, and learn and grow through it. Uh, it's exciting to be able to have those kind of moments uh, together with you. Well, over the last couple of weeks, uh, the Lord just kind of impressed on my heart to take Psalm chapter 23, uh, which begins with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And over the last couple of weeks, what I have done every day is taken one line from that Psalm uh, and just meditated on that line throughout the day. So day one was just that, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And throughout the day, that, those words came to me as I uh, felt maybe at times I didn't have enough time or I worried about uh, if I had enough uh, resources in a given area. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't need to want. I can trust the good leadership of Jesus. Uh, another line that I, I specifically uh, meditated on, I think it was day three, uh, he leads me beside quiet waters. What does it mean to, to experience the quiet waters of Jesus's peace and rest uh, in my own soul? And, and I just offer that because this has been uh, transformational for me as we all need places we can go for rest, for encouragement, for refreshment. And what better place than to go to scripture, than to go to a place like Psalm 23 and, and do that. So uh, one other resource I want to give you, one other thought is um, an app that I recently downloaded called the Pause app. Um, and this Pause app gives you opportunity to take small pauses of one minute or five minutes or ten minutes to reflect on scripture. Uh, to listen to quiet waters uh, of, of music and melody, uh, to think on God's thoughts uh, for a brief time, and just to take a brief pause. Um, so you can find that at the App Store. But these are things that I've been leaning into as we're all just in this weird and unse- uh, uncertain year called 2020 to find places where we can be refreshed. And we know that we can be refreshed by our Good Shepherd Jesus. So what I'm going to do this morning Um, is not preached from Psalm 23, but rather a parallel passage in the New Testament, John chapter 10, where Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And and in this next few minutes that we have, what I want to do is offer for you what I would call invitational blessings that come from John chapter 10. There are three. And let me go to John 10 now and read. John 10 verses 1 through 6 say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the stranger's voice. 
Now this figure of speech, uh, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The first invitational blessing that I want to offer to you this morning is this. May you recognize the voice of Jesus. Never before have there been more voices clamoring more loudly for our attention. 40 years ago in 1980, a man named Ted Turner invented the 24-hour news cycle. He began CNN uh, Cable News Network. And prior to that time, some of you would remember this era of human history when you basically consumed the news by way of a newspaper uh, that came to maybe your driveway first thing in the morning and you spent 20 to 30 minutes over a cup of coffee hearing what was going on in the world. Or maybe that evening you tuned in for another 20 or 30 minutes to get the local or the national news. Uh, News in that time period was something that was communicated of, of this is what's going on in the world. These are the events that are happening. But once CNN got their foot in the door with this 24-hour news cycle, news shifted from, from merely being this is what's happening to now we're going to have pundits and spin doctors and talking heads around the clock not only telling you what's happening but telling you what to think about what's happening. And at the risk of sounding like I'm picking on CNN, they were the first to the game, but then came Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC, C-SPAN, and on and on and on down the line. News entertainment became a thing. If that wasn't enough to be voices clamoring for our attention, we've seen the 21st century has uh, initiated the advent of social media. Now you don't have to have a multi-million dollar or billion dollar news network. You just have to have a social media profile and and say whatever it is that you want to say, your opinions and your ideas. and, And that's not inherently bad but it is occupying a lot of space in our world, is it not? Did you know that in North America, the average person spends two hours and six minutes a day on social media? Uh, This does not include television, uh, radio, uh, news intake, podcasts, blogs. This is just social media, two hours and six minutes a day. In fact, social media usage has increased every year since 2012, and it shows no signs of slowing down. And if that wasn't enough, the intensity of the voices on media and social media is right now heightened by the fact that we're in a pandemic and we are experiencing social unrest and the political turmoil of an election year. So there's not just a lot of voices out there, but they're loud and they're divisive. And we've got to manage and deal with all of this. My fear, friends, is that in the middle of all of these voices clamoring for our attention, that maybe we have neglected to hear the voice of Jesus. Look again at verse 3 of John chapter 10. It says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. You need to know this morning that before you can recognize the voice of Jesus, you need to be able to hear the voice of Jesus. If you're not hearing it regularly, it will never become familiar or recognizable to you. When I was younger, one of the things that I vividly remember is road trips with my family. Uh, There was nine of us, seven children, two parents. We had a seven-passenger station wagon. If you're thinking the math doesn't add up, it's because it doesn't. 
Um, and uh, I know that probably wasn't legal the way that we traveled, but it was the 80s and almost anything was legal in the 80s. And so this is what we would do. We'd drive to Maryland, to Indiana. We'd pack in. I can remember sitting on suitcases uh, for long drives. I can remember younger siblings sleeping underneath uh, the seats or on the floorboard. We just made it work. Uh, but one of the things that I can always remember on every road trip was back in the 80s, you know, all you had in your car was a radio. You didn't have Bluetooth. You couldn't podcast or listen to iTunes. So you had the radio. And growing up in Sebring, we'd go north on US 27. About the time we got to Lake Wales or maybe Haines City, you know what would begin to happen about that time. That signal, that clear sound of a WWOJ or, or the local Christian radio station, whatever it might have been. It started to sound a little more like this, right? Static, static. Why? Because as you moved away from the source of the signal, the, the, the sound, the message, the song became less clear to you. And if you continued to travel as we would, pretty soon the static would give way. It would become clear again. But what you're now hearing is not the original voice. It's a new voice. It's a new station. It's a different channel. Friends, this is what happens when we neglect and move away from the voice of Jesus. First, we're going to experience disruption. Things are going to be hard to discern. It's going to be confusing, like static in our brain. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to gravitate to other voices that may sound good. They may align politically. Uh, they, they may touch on some of the very same issues we're concerned about, but friends, it's just not the voice of Jesus. I, I believe that Jesus still speaks in our world. I'll be very honest with you. I, I believe that he still speaks in our world. The question I want to answer together with you is, if that is the case, then how does he do it? Let me take you first and foremost to this. The primary way that you can be sure you're hearing from the voice of Jesus is by reading his word, what he has already revealed in the divinely inspired scripture. We can know and you can have confidence when you're reading scripture that you're getting truth. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And some of us need to hear this message because we, we've used the Bible more as a, a, a decoration on our nightstand or our end table and not as the source of truth, something to be read, to be studied diligently. But I want to take you to a chapter before John 17, before Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Listen to what Jesus says to the disciples in John 16, verses 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, did you catch that? Jesus is saying, there's going to be more that I have to reveal to you than what you're going to get right now. This is part of the reason that we've been given the Holy Spirit. Because God has more to say to us. Now, let me be clear. The Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. So, if you ever say, hey, I think the Holy Spirit is leading me to do something and it's a clear violation of Scripture, you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. That's coming from somewhere else. But what the Holy Spirit will do, I am fully convinced, based on the testimony of Jesus and personal experience, is that the Holy Spirit will speak to us, or we might use the term, he will prompt us to take a specific action 
at a specific time and place and in a specific way. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, several years ago, I was uh, at Eagle's Nest Park over on Kirkman and just had gone to kind of get some time uh, by the lake and just relax and, and, and just kind of pause and get quiet before the Lord. I was reading some scripture. I was praying. And as I'm doing all of those things, I start noticing uh, an individual who's running. There's a jogging trail around the lake. And something in me, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke or prompted, said, uh, I want you to talk with this person. I want you to pray with this person. And I'm sitting in my car, and so I'm like, okay, th- th- I'm not sure how to get from here to there, and he's exercising. I'm sure he didn't come out here to, to be interrupted from you know, his jog, so I'm not really sure how to do that. But I went and, and got out of the car and, and sat down on a park bench by the lake, positioned myself a little better so that I could be obedient to the Lord. And on about the third lap, uh, this guy uh, takes a, a break, and he just kind of gets down, ties his shoes, and kind of just stops for a minute, and, and I approached him. And within just a short time, I just kind of said, hey, um, learned that his name was Eric. I said, hey, Eric, uh, this is going to sound weird, but I just, I got the sense that maybe I was supposed to pray for you today. Can, can I do that? And this young man said, hey, I'm so glad uh, you're, you're doing that because I lost my job two days ago and I actually came out here. I don't normally run out here, but I came out here to get away and to, to really try to pray and hear from God uh, about what's next for me. I said, well, Eric, that's why I'm here. I think the Holy Spirit sent me uh, to do just that. And so I got to pray with him. And it was a clear indication to me that supported by Scripture, by the words of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has some things to reveal to us that will come at specific times and places, never contradicting Scripture, but sometimes applying it in ways that there's not necessarily a chapter and verse to tell us to do. My belief in the speaking of God, the continual voice and message of God going out in the world is connected to the belief that God is still at work in his world. It's like the badgers in the lion, witch in the wardrobe who look off in the distance while they said, Aslan is on the move. And friends, I believe that God is on the move in our world. I believe he is still working. I believe he is still speaking to his followers. I, I believe he's inviting us to participate. The question is, Can we recognize the voice of Jesus well enough to follow it faithfully? Let's go back to John chapter 10, verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7, this is what it says. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may may have life and have it abundantly. The second invitational blessing that we see in this passage is this. May you trust the heart of Jesus. Now, some of you have heard me share this story, but when I was 15 years old, uh, living in a pastor's home, the middle of seven children, I can tell you uh, that Sunday morning church was not the thing that I got the most jazzed about. Uh, Since I was a young kid, church was just not something that I enjoyed. I would have said it was boring, it was stuffy, and as I got into my teenage years, I added to that uh, list that I really felt like there was hypocrisy, that, that Uh, It wasn't blatant. It wasn't like people living double lives that I knew of. But what it was, was people who declared one thing from the pulpit or from their place in the church, but their lives lacked any of the power that they claimed that God had. And, And so I was becoming resentful. I was certainly becoming cynical of the church and of Christ. So one night I'm 
at a at a uh, diner, EJ's Diner in Sebring, Florida. It's not there anymore, but I'm in conversation with a, uh, a young man who's a year older than me at the time, and I came to find out that this guy had recently given his life to Jesus. He had gone to a youth retreat with a church. He wasn't normally a church attender, but a youth group uh, friend invited him to go, and and he gave his heart to Christ. And as he talked to me about this experience, I went, man, I've never heard somebody talk about Jesus like they were excited about him or like they knew him personally. And it prompted me to go home that night and just start leafing through the Bible. And I was leafing through the Gospel of John. I came to John chapter 10, this very passage that I'm sharing today. And I came to John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, again, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Or the way I read it originally in the New International Version, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Now, I knew at 15 years old, one of two things was true. Either one, Jesus was not telling the truth. Jesus was lying. Because the reality of my life was not life abundant or life to the fullest. It was far from that. But there was another uh, thought in my head and heart that I wrestled with. And by the grace of God, and I believe the power of the Holy Spirit, I I landed on a, a second option. I came to believe that, yes, Jesus was telling the truth. And there was more that he had for me than what I was presently experiencing. Now, friends, what I want you to hear is this. I believed in God, and I even believed theologically that Jesus' death on a cross uh, could save me from sin, and, and all of those things were present. My life changed not because I believed those theological truths. My life changed when I came to believe and be confident that I could trust the heart of Jesus for me that God had a purpose for me, that God had a plan for me. And I began at 15 years old to seek out and to live out that abundant life that Jesus had promised in this very passage. Now, over the years since then, I've identified a a group of people. They exist in every church. I don't know who they are at our church, but I'm sure they're there. Um, They're people that I would call scripture snobs. These are the people that will, you know, beat you up if you use a verse, you know, even just the slightest bit, it wasn't in the exact perfect context or whatever. And one of the places these scripture snobs like to go is Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And these folks will say, no, 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 that's not a promise for you. That's the promise for Israel. And the, and the context is different. They're exiles and, and God's telling him he's going to bring them back into the land and, and you can't hijack that promise. That's not for you. And I go, okay, okay. It's good to know the context of scripture. It's important that we know what the original audience was for a certain verse or passage. But let me tell you this. If you think that God's promise for the Old Testament Israelites was good, you should see what he has in store for the church. You talk about uh, prospering us. I I mean, how about streets of gold and and crowns and mansions in heaven? That sounds like a pretty good deal. You talk about not harming us. How about saving us from the eternal wrath and judgment of God by the blood of Jesus? You, You talk about hope in a future. How about a kingdom that fills the whole universe where Christ reigns in perfect righteousness and justice and peace? The promise of Jeremiah 29.11 is not less for us as followers of Jesus. It is all the more for us. We can trust the heart of God for us. His plans for us are good. But Jesus also mentions another in John 10.10. 10. 
Because just as God is trying to bring good into our lives and and bring ultimate satisfaction, there's another, Jesus calls him the thief. And he says, this thief comes only to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. And let me tell you how he does it. Of course, Jesus is talking about our enemy, the devil or Satan. This is how Satan works in your life. He destroys you. He steals God's best from you this way by causing you to doubt the heart of God toward you. In fact, did you know that every sin that you've ever committed began as a sin of questioning or doubting or disbelieving the heart of God for you? Bitterness. What is bitterness in all of its manifestations and all of its fruits? It's distrusting that there's a God of justice who's going to make it right in the end. So we feel the need to hold on to it and to punish someone by resenting them and having bitterness toward them. Uh, Let's take lust. Lust is believing that God's best, the, the best pleasure I can have is not found in God's plan and I must go and find it on my own. Uh, Fear, fear is believing that I can't really trust God to protect me. Therefore, I have to take on the burden of my own security because God's heart toward me is not good. By the way, this is the exact blueprint the enemy used in Genesis chapter three. Remember that story where he comes to Eve in the garden and he shows her, hey, look at this fruit on the tree. And and remember what he says to her. She says to 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 the serpent, she says, well, we can't eat from that fruit because God said we're gonna die. And The enemy says, no, 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 you're not going to die. God knows that the moment you eat of it, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. Translation, the enemy was saying to Eve, there's more to experience than what God is allowing you. God is holding out on you. If you would just do this, you'll experience real life. The enemy has not created any new blueprints since that point. That's the one he's got. The only weapon, the only weapon that Satan has against us is deception. He's got to get us to, to be confused in our thinking. He's, he's going to attack the truth. And the greatest truth that he wants to attack is this. And it's the truth you need to anchor yourself in today. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good. Let me say that again. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good. Some of you need to hear that because everything going on around you is not good. And in a climate like that, an environment like that, it can become very easy to start to judge the goodness of God by the goodness of life. And we go, well, I'm not experiencing good. I'm experiencing pain or loss or uncertainty. How can God be good in the midst of that? Let me illustrate it another way. Uh, Suppose there's a a six-year-old child and the child uh, is able to choose between two adults. One adult uh, has an ice cream cone. It happens to be that child's favorite flavor of ice cream. And then over here, there's an adult who's going to inflict physical pain on the child. Now, if you're guiding this child, which direction do you move them in? If you're like me, you're going to want the child to experience what is good. And you're going to say, well, go get the ice cream cone, not the, the physical pain. This is better for you. But let me take the illustration one step further. If you knew that the, the uh, person over here, the adult that's going to be uh, inflicting some physical pain on the child is actually that child's parent. And in order to teach them not to touch something that's dangerous for them, they're going to uh, lightly pop that child on the hand and inflict a little bit of physical pain. Whereas the other adult is a stranger to the child. And that stranger is offering this child an ice cream cone if they'll come over to where they are now which way do you direct the child? It becomes clear. 
you always direct the child toward the person who is for their good, not the one that you can't trust. A wise child will actually submit himself or herself to the loving correction of a parent, and that same wise child will run screaming from a stranger that they don't know, regardless of what the stranger is offering them. See, this is what Jesus is saying even earlier in the passage in John 10. He says, look, my sheep, you could insert my children, they're not going to follow the voice of a stranger. And it doesn't matter what the stranger's offering. I'll be honest with you, the enemy sometimes comes across with offers that seem so believable and so good for us and things that would really bring pleasure or opportunity, but it is the stranger's voice and we cannot trust it. We dare not trust it. In fact, we teach children to, uh, to learn what we, we use the term stranger danger. It's stranger danger. Don't, don't go near people you don't know. Only stay with people that you trust. Stay with parents, grandparents. You cannot trust the voice of a stranger. Now, I'm keenly aware as we talk about trusting the heart of Jesus that some of us have had real hard times and, and difficult things happen in our life as we trusted the Lord, as we walked with God. And like a person who touches a hot stove and quickly pulls their hand away, what happens when we're hurt in our walk with God is sometimes we, we shrink back or we pull back. It can happen even subconsciously, but we create walls in our heart that no longer allow us to trust the heart of God like we need to, like we so desperately need to. Right now, I can think of situation after situation that's tough, That if I could change it, I would change it. And I don't know why God is allowing it, but here's what I know. I'm going to say it again. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good. It's why Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. May you trust the heart of Jesus. Go back to the passage one more time. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. The third and final invitational blessing that I offer to you from John chapter 10 is this. May you display the love of Jesus. There is a lot in these verses and we don't have time to unpack all of it. Uh, we, we could look at the hired hand in verse 12 or, or maybe what does it mean in verse 16 when Jesus says, I have other sheep that aren't of this fold. Uh, did you know that there's actually people that have taught that Jesus is saying that there's alien life and he's got to go and save them as well. I can promise you that's not what Jesus is saying in the passage. What really interests me in these verses isn't any of that, but it's rather a short phrase that Jesus uses five times in these eight verses. Short but powerful. It's this, I lay down my life. 
the God of our universe, the creator and sustainer of all life, when he entered our world, when he came to our planet, he came not to conquer, not to subjugate, uh, not to gain uh, uh, followers who would robotically do his bidding uh, at force. He came to lay down his life. And because Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his life, we have access to God through faith in him. This is the good shepherding, the good leadership of Jesus. It's why Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. In fact, in, in John 10, verse 18, Jesus uses a strange word to talk about laying down his life. Jesus uses the word authority. I have authority to lay down my life. I don't know about you, but I think, man, that sounds like a contradiction because people in our world that have authority hold on to it. They cling to it. They grasp for it. They use it and abuse it. Jesus says, not me. That's not the way I lead. That's not the way I shepherd. I use my authority to lay down my life. The beautiful truth in this passage is this, that sacrifice is not the opposite of power. It is the evidence of it. It's not the opposite of power. It's actually the evidence of real power. When we sacrifice, when we lay down our life, and we live in a world where this is just counterintuitive. We have people killing for power. We have people campaigning for power. We have people that are, that are uh, screaming for it and clamoring for it. And Jesus says, that's not my way. That's not my way. The world will not be changed because Christians gained more power in the world. The world will be changed as Christians, followers of Jesus, learn to live out the way of Christ in a sacrificial, laying down our lives for the good of others kind of way. That is how the world will be changed. I was a teenager in August 13th, 1997, when Princess Diana was tragically killed in a car accident. Uh, Princess Diana had lived her life at the height of power. She was at the center of media attention constantly. Uh, and you probably, if you were alive then and old enough, you probably remember that day. What you may not remember is that someone else died just five days later on September 5th, 1997. Also a woman, but this woman did not live at the height of power and she was not at the center of media attention. Her death didn't go unnoticed, but it wasn't commemorated in nearly the same way. Uh, the woman who died five days after Princess Diana was Mother Teresa. She had spent her life in the slums of Calcutta, India with lepers, holding them, loving them, serving them to their dying breath. Mother Teresa, before she died, said this, I would not touch a leper for 10,000 pounds. Wouldn't do it, but I do it for the love of God. In other words, fame couldn't motivate me to do this. Uh, money, wealth couldn't motivate me to do this. Power and position would never motivate me to do this. What motivates me is the love of God in the person of Jesus. You may not spend your life serving lepers in the streets of Calcutta, but every follower of Jesus is called to lay down their life for the good of others. We're called to display the love of Jesus in that way. And I want to challenge you with this. The most important place and also oftentimes the hardest place to lay down our life, it happens in our own home. Husbands, it happens as we sacrificially love our wives and love them more than we care about winning the argument, more than we care about controlling them, 
but we serve and we sacrifice. We understand that her good is our good and the call of God in our lives is to serve and love her. Parents, this happens when we lay down our lives for our children. It means when we mess up, we ask for forgiveness. It means we don't use a louder, deeper voice, a a, a posture of intimidation to get them to do our will, but rather we lovingly correct and lead in our home. It happens in our workplaces and neighborhoods as we display a, a meekness, a kindness, a generosity that's so rare in our polarized and divisive world, but we choose the way of laying down our lives just as Jesus himself did. So we'll close with this question. What is an area of your life that you need to lay down your life so others may see Jesus' love through you? Where is an area? Maybe it's the way you're using your social media account and, and it's so belligerent and it's so loud and toxic and you go, man, I need to scale that back. I need people to see above all that I love Jesus and I love people. Maybe it's in your home, maybe it's in your workplace, but where is it that you need to begin laying down your life in new ways? I want to close this morning uh, by praying a prayer of blessing over you. I mentioned at the beginning of this message that I've been walking through Psalm 23 the last two weeks, taking one line at a time, and and I want to close uh, this morning by simply praying this over you. And I'm going to say it in the first person. I want you to internalize this as your prayer for God's redemptive power to be at work in you, for his good shepherding leadership to be present in your life. Would you pray for me as I pray for you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will live in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.